Well, we want to begin uh, our teaching time today with something uh, a, a little bit special, a little out of the ordinary. This is part of my family. This is my wife, Cheryl. And uh, just to let you know that, that, um, that she's one really good-looking woman, isn't she? And guys, you can applaud. But, but guys, just want you to know, if, if you want to go in the ministry, it doesn't pay much, but there are some benefits. And so, so you just think that through. And together, together uh, we have eight children. I have a, a stepson who is 18 years of age. His name is Johnny, and he is down in, at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. He goes to Calvary Academy. He's a senior there. And together, Cheryl and I, over the past seven years, have had seven children together. This is Abigail Praise, and she is six years of age, and she is absolutely adorable, isn't she? And if I can... If I can take this one here, and hopefully she won't throw up on me, which she likes to do when she's with Daddy, and pull off my microphone. This is Avery Joy, and uh, honey, you got to let that go. This is Avery Joy, and Avery is six months old this week. Can you say hi? Look at all those people. That's a, that's a bunch of people. Well, Avery Joy is six months old this week, and, and this past year, as Cheryl and I, we had six little ones around the house. Our oldest one right now together is seven years of age, and his, his name is Daniel. And uh, <laughs> Welcome to my life. There's more where that came from. So last year we began to pray and we just sensed that the Lord was saying that there was one more for us. And so we just began to pray and say, Lord, what do you want to do? We, we talked with uh, Pam Fagoras, who's a social worker in our church. We had adopted Hannah from China a few years back. The paperwork was very simple. We simply upgraded our paperwork and we just said, Lord, if you have a baby for us, let us know. And we decided not to go with an adoption agency or an attorney or anything like that. What well, was in September when uh, we got a call asking if we would be interested in adopting a very healthy and happy baby girl who was yet to be born, and she'd be born in about three weeks. Well, as uh, we prayed, we sensed the Lord saying, this is our little girl, and the Lord gave us a name. The name was Avery Joy. I actually gave it to Cheryl, and we didn't know what Avery Joy meant, but Avery means out of heaven, joy. And so we, we came to find out a few weeks after we, we got the name, that she means from out of heaven, joy. And so what's so great and why this week is so important is as we brought her home when she was one day, when she was one day old, uh, we've been going through the process to finalize the adoption. Well, this past week on Thursday, we got to go before the judge on the final hearing. And uh, at the end of that hearing, when we walked out, she was officially, now we've known all along that she was ours, but officially she is now Avery Joy Plourd. And so it's a done deal, and this week it's all finished, and she's 100% completely ours, and that's very exciting. Now, the reason I've, I've asked Cheryl to bring out Avery is, is that, um, very simply, as Cheryl and I have been blessed with these children, one thing that God has done is God has brought home to us a very sober reality that every decision that she and I make, that Cheryl and I make over the next 20 years, over the next 30 years, and the decisions that we've made through our life, directly impact these children at every level. 
The decisions that we make today will directly affect their physical well-being, their emotional health, uh, their, their, and most importantly, their, you know, their, their psychological health. But most importantly, the decisions that Cheryl and I make will impact what takes place in the lives of these children spiritually. So it's brought to us a very sober reality that we need to make sure that we are making wise decisions, godly decisions, because the decisions that we make are going to be influencing these little ones that God has entrusted us. Does that make sense? Every one of us is either living the benefit of decisions that were made by the families that we come from, or we are bearing the weight and bearing the brunt of decisions that were made. And so as God has blessed us with these children, our desire is to make very godly decisions so that as these children grow up, they can grow up with a heritage where they can say, I believe in God and I have a walk with God because of what I saw in the lives of my parents. And so spiritually, we're going to make decisions so that these children can grow up and know the Lord. Does that make sense? And with that, I'm going to pass Avery Joy back to her mama. You want to say bye-bye? And that leads us into, bye baby. And that leads us into our chapter today. And today as we go through chapter 13, we're going to meet a dad who has two daughters who made some very bad decisions and saw the result in the next generation. But as I said, we're going to pick it up today in chapter 12 as we begin. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis. Paul tells us in the New Testament... There on your outline, Paul says that everything or whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. And you might want to underline that if you have a pen. Whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through the perseverance and encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. And so Paul says everything in the Old Testament was written there for a purpose. It was written there to instruct us today in 2007. Does that make sense? Well, in addition to that, David, as he wrote the Psalms, about a thousand years before Jesus was born, David began the book of Psalms, and here's what he says there in your outline. He talks about the godly man, and he says his delight is in the law of the Lord. You might want to underline law of the Lord. And in his law, and you might want to underline, he meditates day and night. Now, what will the result be? He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. I love that. He says that if a man wants to be prosperous, one of the things that he needs to do is to meditate on the law of God. The law of God is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We are working our way through the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the law of God. Now, why is that so important? Because in Genesis, you don't get individual verses that you memorize and apply, you get stories. And in essence, what God is saying is, I'm giving you in the law certain stories that are pictures, and if you will take these pictures and you will meditate on these pictures and you think it through, God's going to reveal some things to you, and as he reveals some things to you, it's going to cause you to live your life in such a way that people are going to look on at your life and they're going to say, you know, you're prospering. You're making some wise decisions. And I love that, that in this book, he gives some pictures. And today we're going to look at one of those pictures. And today... As we look at a story, as we go through and we meditate, we think it through, we left off last time 
studying a man named Abraham. Abraham would be called the father of faith. But when we left off last time, Abraham was floundering in his faith. He was following the Lord, but, but uh, not completely. And you'll recall in chapter 12 that, and by the way, that's good because he will become the father of faith. He will become the example of faith, but he doesn't begin so great. And the reason that's so great for you and I is because if I were to say, is there anybody here who thought that by this time they should be more spiritual? Most of us would raise our hands, right? And so we look in the Bible and we find a guy who didn't start so great and yet he becomes the father of faith and that gives me hope because God wasn't done with Abraham and and he's not done with you and I. And so today as we pick it up, you'll recall from chapter 12, verse 1, you might want to notice there real quick, God begins to speak in Abraham's life and he says, "Now Now the Lord said to Abram, he says, go from your, from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So here's what I want you to do, Abraham. And what I'm calling you to do is as you follow me, you're going to need to leave your family. You're going to need to re- leave your relatives. You're going to have to let go of a certain relationship as you follow me. Well, in verse 4 from last time, you'll recall Abraham begins to follow and it says, so Abram, verse 4, went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and, and you might want to underline if you weren't here last time, and Lot went with him. Lot went with him. And so he takes Lot. Lot is Abraham's nephew. God has just said, follow me and, I, and leave your family. What I want to do involves you leaving this relationship. And, and yet, as Abraham begins to follow, he begins to take along his nephew. And we're going to find out that this is going to lead to disastrous results in Abraham's life and Lot's life also. Then, in verse 7, as Abraham begins to follow, again, not fully, but he's following, in verse 7 of chapter 12, he comes to what you and I would call the promised land. We'd say the land of Israel. The Lord appeared to Abram, verse 7, and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So here we see that Abraham is in the promised land. God speaks to him. Abraham responds by building an altar. He, he worships, but there's a problem. As Abram is new in, his faith, new in his faith, in verse 10, it says, now he's in the promised land, it says, but there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So, We find Abraham following the Lord. He sees a problem. He doesn't consult God. He packs up and he heads down to Egypt. Now, for those of you who've been around the Bible for any length of time, Egypt in the Bible always represents what? The world. It represents the things that are contrary to God. It represents the things that would be uh, just not of God. It would be doing it man's way. And so you'll see that. So Abraham has gone down to Egypt he kind of blows his testimony down there. He flounders and, and uh, doesn't, doesn't really worship God, doesn't hear from God, doesn't, uh, you know, a whole lot doesn't happen. But he leaves there a little bit embarrassed in his faith. And then in chapter 13, we pick it up in verse 1. We'll read through the first four verses and then come back. It says, so Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. Some of your Bibles would say uh, from the southern country. He and his wife and all that belonged to him with your pen in hand and Lot with him and Lot with him. The writer of the Bible wants us to know that Lot's still hanging on. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel, or Bethel. Now, circle Bethel in your Bible. To the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Now, I want you to underline 
where his tent had been at the beginning. God kind of brings him back to the place of the altar, the altar that he built in the last chapter before he headed off to Egypt, where he made there formerly. So underlying to the place of the altar, which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram comes back. He's, he leaves Egypt. It didn't really work out for him in Egypt. Goes back to the world, you might say. And uh, he comes back a little, bit, a little bit wiser. He goes to Egypt as a believer, and, and yet he, he backslides, you, you might say. As he comes back, he's going to be now more of a, of a spiritual man. And what's so great about Abraham is he realizes this is a real failure of faith in his life. And yet he's learned some things. And so when you and I fall, the message is simply, as we come back to the Lord, make sure we learn something from the experience. Well, again, Abraham comes back to the last place that God spoke to him. He comes back to the last place that he worshiped God. And in verse 3, I had you circle it, it says, He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel. I didn't put this on your outline, but you might want to, in, the, in your margin somewhere, El simply is the word for God. Beth simply means house or dwelling. Literally, he comes back to the house of God. And that's the idea as he's coming back. Now, it's also interesting as we get into the story, it's not recorded anywhere that Abraham, while he was in Egypt, as he kind of backslides and leaves the place that God has for him, that while he's in Egypt, it's not recorded that he ever builds an altar. It's not recorded that he ever worships. It's not recorded uh, that he ever calls on the Lord. It's not recorded that God gives him any word of knowledge or instruction or wisdom. There's just kind of a silence as he leaves Egypt. And that's typically what happens. God has us in a certain place. We see a little trouble. It's not working out the way we want it to. We pack up. We head to the place that God does not have for us. And interesting. It's very quiet there from the Lord's perspective. Now, does that make sense so far? Then you notice in verse 1, as we get into this, it says that Lot was with him. So we see that Lot is still with him. We know that God said in chapter 12, you need to leave your, your, uh, these relatives and, go to, and do what I've called you to do. But we notice that, that Lot is still with him. Well, verses 5 through 7, notice this. It says, now Lot who went with Abraham, you know, the writer really wants you to know that Lot's still with them. Lot's been part of the process. He says, he also had flocks, herds, and tents. And the land could not sustain them while they were dwelling together, for their possessions were so great, and they were not able to remain together. With your pen in hand, verse 7, and it says, and there was, what does your Bible say? What does it say? Strife, and what does what some of your other Bibles say? Quarreling. Okay, good. All right, so there was strife, there's quarrels, there's quarreling. And it says, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now, the, and I want you to underline this, the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. So, way back when, God had called Abram, said, I want to do something in your life, but I'm calling you to separate in this particular relationship. And God says, what I'm doing is going to require a separation. Also, what I'm doing in Lot's life is also going to require a separation. Now, you have to know, this is really hard for Abraham. This is the part that many times we miss. You see, Lot is Abram's nephew. And Abraham really loves this guy. But Lot's had a difficult time. You, You see, it was Lot's dad who died way back when in chapter 11. And so when Lot's dad dies, 
Lot's grandfather, who's Abraham's father, steps in and he's like a dad. But after a while, he dies too. And so now Lot is looking to Abraham as it's kind of a father figure. He's not nine years of age. He's probably 30, 40, 50 years of age at this point. And, and, but Abraham's kind of the father figure in the family. And you, you get the sense that when God comes to Abraham and he says, you know, I, I want you to separate from this relationship, Abraham begins to say, you know, I, I just don't know that I can, that would just so hurt Lot. I mean, it would just be devastating to him for me to separate from him. You know, Lot might look at me and say, well, that's not very Christian. You know, my dad's died, my grandfather's died, you're it. And now you're walking out of my life. I mean, how do you call yourself a believer? And, and you know, Abram might say, I just can't bear to hurt him like this because, you know, it'd just, just be so painful to, to walk away from this relationship. And God, he might reject you forever if I walk away from this relationship. Does that make sense? So there's a lot of pain there. But I want you to uh, write this down because time passes. And in verse 7, because Abram hasn't done what God's called him to do, the result at this point is simply strife. Now, why is this so important? We don't know how much time elapses here. We know that Abraham went down to Egypt for a time. He might, might have been there for a year. Uh, he, he's come back to the promised land. Apparently they came back and, and things were fine, but their flocks are becoming larger and larger. So it might've been a couple of years, but the frustration gets larger and just greater and greater in their life. And to the point where all they can do is describe the relationship and say, there's nothing but strife between us. Now, this is uh, something that you need to write down. You ready? Pen in hand, write this down. When God says separate, and I don't, it never gets better. It never gets better. And right now, if you're in a relationship and God has told you to separate, and you're hoping and praying and wishing that it's going to get better, the reality is, when God says separate and I don't, it never gets better. Does that make sense? The King James Bible translates this Hebrew word a number of ways. Notice there in your outline, you can use any one of these words um, for, for strife. Adversary, chiding, contention, controversy, pleading, strife, and suit. Uh, that would be like a legal suit. And the idea is that it never gets better. You see, maybe today you're in a situation and you're in a, a wrong dating relationship and you know that God has spoken to you. But you're thinking, I just can't break up with this person right now because, because what would happen to them? A couple of years ago, a lady came to Cheryl and I, and she was dating a guy. She was saying, you know, he's, he's close to the Lord. He's coming to the church with me. I know, I know it's wrong, and I'm sleeping with him, but I'm afraid if I stop sleeping with him, he's, he's never going to get it. He's never going to walk with God if, if I stop sleeping with him, to which I replied, and I'll be less graphic. I had to explain to her that, that her body was not the path to heaven. <laughs> Regardless of what she was being told. Does that make sense? And, and, and yet we have this, I can't, I just, I, you know, what's going to happen? Maybe you're in a business situation. Maybe you are in a friendship situation and you know that, that it's not that you're bringing your friends up, but they're bringing you down. And God says, you need to separate. And you're saying, I just can't. And God says, but it, it's never going to get better. And Abraham thought it would be just too painful for himself and for Lot if he tried to separate me. After all, what would Lot do? What would he believe? How could he survive this? The story is told of a man who had a dog. 
And one day he looked at the dog that he loved greatly and he realized that the dog was sick. And so he said, I I need to take the dog to the vet and find out what the problem is. So he takes the dog to the vet. The vet takes the dog inside. A few minutes later, the vet comes out. He says, you know, there's some good news and there's some bad news. Here's the bad news. The dog has a cancer in his tail. And with this cancer in his tail, it's only going to spread. Now, the good news is we can save the dog, but we have to cut the tail of the dog off in order to save the dog. Make sense? So the man says, can I think about it overnight? And the doctor says, yes, you can, but we need to act fast. If we want to save the dog, we're going to have to cut the tail off. So the man goes home, and he looks at the dog that he loves so much, and he reasons to himself, and he says, you know, I love this dog. This dog is my friend, and and this dog has been loyal. And I can't bear to bring so much pain into this dog all at once. I can't in one time just cut the tail of the dog off. I can't bring that much pain into the dog's life. So the man reasons, what will I do? I can't bear to do it all at once. And so he says, I know what I'll do. I can't bear to bring that much pain in all at once and cut the whole tail off, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut the tail off one inch at a time. Because I can't bear to do it all at once. Stupid, not so stupid. But isn't it the very thing that we do in relationships? We think that if we cut the tail off all at once, that it's going to be too painful. And so we do certain things and we try to cut it off one inch at a time, trying to somehow save the pain that ultimately is going to be there when God calls us to sever a relationship. And we do that in dating. We do that in friendships that need to be let go of. We do that in working situations. And we try to do it one inch at a time. And ultimately, we don't spare any pain. We actually create more pain. Does that make sense? And so when God says let it go, he wants you to let it go. And the reason that God says let it go is because he knows the future. And if you're single here today and you're dating somebody you shouldn't be dating and you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, God already knows the one that he has for you. But he can't prepare you or that one and he can't bring you together while you're still doing the things over here. God knows the future and because he knows the future, he looks down at certain times and says, this relationship has got to go. And for Abraham, this relationship had to go. But also, I want you to notice in verse 7, it says, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now, the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. Now, the idea is this, that Lot and Abraham are believers. Two believers are having strife. They're having arguments, contention. Their testimony is blown as the non-believers, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, are looking on and seeing how these two are interacting. And so it's blowing their testimonies. And as the non-believers look on, Abraham says, you know, we, we need to separate. This is not working out. So they're, they're called to separate. Now, let me just say one other thing. Um, if you're married here today, God's not calling you to separate from your spouse. Okay? That's not the message. It's just two dudes, okay, who need to go in opposite directions. Not a guy and a girl who are married. And so that's, that's a, don't take that. Okay? No emails. All right. Verse 8 and 9. Now we want, as we look at this situation, let's see how they respond. And we're going to see Abraham's wisdom as he's growing and Lot's weakness and the decisions that he makes. 
Well, we pick it up in verses 8 and 9, and it says, So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brothers, underline that, for we're brothers. I mean, we're both believers. And uh, it's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Now, very quickly, um, Abraham deals with the situation, write this down, deals with this directly. Deals with this directly. He says, we're brothers in verse 8. He doesn't beat around the bush. He inserts himself in the situation. He says, you know, my herdsmen, your herdsmen, it's me, it's you. I'm not blaming you. Um, You know, um, we can't spend any more time trying to cut the tail off one inch at a time. We have to separate. It's not working out. And so Abraham is a little bit wiser at this point, and so he deals with this directly. Number two, we notice that Abraham begins to show some spiritual discernment. You might want to write that down. You know, the Canaanites and the Perizzites are watching. And Abraham says, you know, we're blowing our testimony. They're looking on at how we're handling this. And, and I'm a believer, and you're a believer, and there's quarreling, and there's contention, and obviously we're not supposed to be together anymore. And there's, we, we can't work this out. Your flocks are too large, and my flocks are too large, and God's called us in another direction. And sometimes God calls believers, which they are, to go in separate directions. Because what God's doing in the life of one and what God's doing in the life of the others necessitates that they go in opposite directions. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Peter. Peter says, Be careful how you behave among your unsaved neighbors. For then, even if they are suspicious of you and talk against you, they will end up praising God for your good works when Christ returns. And so, if God is calling you to separate in a relationship, and you know that God has spoken to you, know this, It never gets better. Deal directly with the situation. Place yourself in the mix and then separate because God has a plan. Well, Abraham's being a little bit wiser as as he grows. But then number three, Abraham shows some spiritual dignity. Notice verse nine. Abraham says, is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. You know, whatever you want to do. You, just, you, know, you choose and I'll go. I'll go with whatever you choose. Now, it's interesting to me because Abraham here is trusting in God's promise, not, not in Lot's choice. Abram knows that God has promised to give him the entire land. And so at this point, Abram says, you know what? I'm just, you, you choose and I'll go with it. It's very spiritual, very discerning, uh, very dignified. There's no need to fight for what God has already promised. This was such a problem in the New Testament church where believers, not getting their own way, were taking one another to court. You'll recall we talked about this about six months ago. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul would say this, to have such lawsuits at all is a real defeat for you as Christians. Why not just accept mistreatment and leave it at that? it would be far more honoring to the Lord to let yourselves be cheated. So, he says, I trust God, you choose. Okay, does that make sense so far? Okay, now here's why. I wanted to get through that because now we're going to talk about what I really want to talk about and why I really brought every joy before you today. And if you have children today, you really need to get this. And you really need to let this sink, sink in and you really need to let this take hold deep inside of you. 
we see that our father of faith is growing. He's not perfect, but he's growing. We'll see some real blunders in the coming chapters. You have Abraham on one side, and then you have Lot on the other side. And so let's see how Lot responds to this. We pick it up in verse 10 with your pen in hand. And it says, Lot lifted his eyes and saw, underline saw, the valley of the Jordan. And it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, good thing, bad thing. Okay, good. Um, Yeah, bad. Like the garden of the Lord, underline, like the garden of the Lord, like like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, thus they separated from each other. That's a good thing, underline that. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tent, and however your Bible says it, as far as Sodom. Now underline that, as far as Sodom. So here's what we're going to see. You have Abraham, there's some spiritual maturity, there's some spiritual dignity, there's trusting in God, there's discernment, our, we're blowing our testimony, we need to do this. And then there's Lot on the other side. First thing we're going to notice about Lot, you want to write this down. We're going to notice as we read through this that Lot is weak in devotions. Weak in devotions. It's never recorded anywhere in your Bible that Lot ever builds an altar. It's never recorded that Lot worships. It's never recorded that Lot calls upon the Lord. It's never recorded that that Lot ever acknowledges the Lord, you might say, in any real way. And yet the New Testament tells us that he is a believer, but but he's very different than Abraham. Now, I want you to write this down. Um, Unlike Abraham, Lot never builds an altar. And I want you to write that down because it's going to be very important for our study, and we'll see where it goes. He doesn't build an altar. We're going to find out that his nature is never altered. He will make decisions very differently than Abraham. And when Lot makes a decision, it's based upon what he sees, the material. Look at verse 10. It says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. What does he see? The valley, before, uh, the, the whole valley of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere. And, you know, we have all these flocks and we have these herds. It goes on and say it was, it was like the garden of the Lord. I mean, it was incredible. And yet Lot only makes decisions based upon what he sees. Now, somewhere you might want to write this down. Lot is a picture. It's not on your outline, but you might want to write it down. Lot is a picture of what you will hear in the church, wherever you go, of somebody that's typically referred to as a carnal believer. The New Testament tells us that Lot is a believer, But as you look at it, you realize he only makes decisions based upon what he sees. There's not a lot of spiritual depth going on. The next thing we see, number two, is that Lot will be worldly in his desires. Worldly in his desires. He sees all the valley. He sees everything that's going on. He says, this is such a great place. It's lush. It's like the garden of God. I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. And it's just just amazing. Uh, It's interesting because that's what he looks at. But notice verse 13, what it says. In verse 13, it gives us a little hint. It says, but the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. It wasn't like they're bad. They're wicked. They're exceedingly. They're sinners against the Lord. He says it three different ways so you don't miss it. This is really bad. Agreed? 
Okay, so that's what he sees. He's that's so great. And so I don't really care if they're wicked or if they're exceedingly bad or whatever. It doesn't really matter a whole lot to me because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going there as a missionary. I'm just going there because it's going to be a great place to, for all my flocks and my herds. And so he sees prosperity. He sees abundance. And, and, and so he says, that's what I want. It's well watered. It's going to be an amazing place. I can't wait to get there. And so in order to get there, he will have to leave the place where they were in verse 3, which is Bethel or the house of God. In order to go to this place that's well watered, it's abundant, it's incredible. Well, it's interesting because as he goes towards Sodom, here's what we find. We find in uh, Somewhere you might want to make a note of this, but this is going to be a great place for cattle. But this is going to be a terrible place for kids. And as Lot looks on, because of where he is, and he doesn't seek God in his decisions, he he doesn't have the discernment to realize that this is a great place for cattle, but it's a lousy place to raise a family. Again, that's not on your outline, but but, uh, you might want to make a note of that. He has no altar. He does not seek the Lord. And so with Lot, he's going to make a disastrous decision. Now, write this down. As a carnal believer, Lot will say yes to heaven. But he never says no to the world. And it's going to lead to a disastrous situation. He's not fully in. He's not fully out. You know, he's a believer, yes, and, and yet he never really takes a stand for God. And, and yet he lives like the world. And we're going to find that he's not very effective as a believer and the world ultimately rejects him. And he does not consider the spiritual impact of the decision that he's about to make. Well, because he's um, worldly in his desires um, and never builds an altar, doesn't really seek the Lord, never, never recorded that he prays. Uh, number three, he will be wrong in decisions. Wrong in decisions. He will make a decision that appears to be good for business. It's a well-watered plain. It's, it's very uh, fruitful. Uh, he will decide to take his family to dwell in a place that's not suited for kids. It's not really an issue for him because he's really concerned about how well the business does. He'll decide to leave Bethel, the, the house of God. And so the question is, with all of that, you know, kind of like the big buildup, but where does it all end up? Where does he wind up with this decision without seeking God and what actually takes place? Well, there on your outline. From Genesis 13, 12, from the King James Version, I want you to underline something as we see where this winds up. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. I want you to underline pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, why is that so important? As Abraham leaves, he heads toward Sodom. But he doesn't go into Sodom initially. But he's made a decision because it looks good for business. He has cattle and he has herds. It's a well-watered plain. It's a lousy place for kids. That's not really his concern. He's a carnal Christian. Well, notice there, that's what it says in verse 12. Some of your Bibles might say it a little bit different. But then I want you to flip over one page to chapter 14. Some time passes. We don't know how long. We know that he leaves Bethel, which is the house of God. He goes toward Sodom. He's not really uh, worried about how this affects his family. Just he's concerned about the business. In verse 12, it says, some time passes. It says, 
They also took Lot, Abraham's nephew, and his possessions and departed for, and then underline this, he was living in Sodom. Does everybody see that? So now you have him not just toward Sodom. Now he's living in Sodom. Some time passes, a couple of years pass. Flip over to chapter 19. No longer toward Sodom, no longer living in Sodom. But in chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, as Lot was, underline this, sitting in the gate of Sodom. Sitting in the gate of Sodom. In the Bible, when somebody in the Old Testament is sitting in the gate, in the Middle East, it would be the place where the leaders of the city would sit and they would make decisions. They would make laws. They would make decrees for their city. They were the wise men of the city. And so when it says he's sitting in the gate, it doesn't make a lot of sense to you and I, but in essence what it's saying is Lot is no longer toward Sodom, no longer living just in Sodom, but now Lot has a place of prominence and he is now a leader in this town of Sodom. Does that make sense? Again, not really concerned about how this affects his family because after all, he's really concerned about the business. He's concerned about the the green pastures, the well-watered plain. So that's how he's thinking as a carnal believer. And again, the New Testament tells us that he is a believer. However, he's not really making good spiritual decisions at this point. So what's going to happen? Well, Lot's going to have two daughters. Those daughters are going to grow up and they are going to be believers. And we'll look at that when we we study through chapter 19 in in the next couple of weeks. But they are going to be carnal believers like their dad. Being carnal believers, we're going to find that their two, his two daughters will get engaged to two guys, and both of those guys will be what you might say unsaved. And so they are going to choose as their spouses two guys who are unsaved. But it's not really a problem because Lot's been a carnal believer, and so he's not thinking that this is really important as far as passing it on. Like dad, when their backs are against the wall... They will make disastrous decisions based upon the circumstance that they see. Although they will be believers, they will not consult the Lord. They will not seek his wisdom because they've never been taught that. But they will simply make a decision based upon the circumstances as they see them and the wisdom that they have in a way that makes sense to them living as carnal believers. Carnal believers. You interested in what decisions they make? They make a decision that turns out to be one of the grossest stories in all of the Bible. Two believing girls, carnal believing girls, raised by a carnal believing dad who really didn't care about the spiritual impact that his decision was having on his family. He cared about what this would mean for him in a business circumstance, but not spiritually for his kids. So, again, one of the grossest decisions that's ever made in in the Bible we pick it up in chapter 19, and I want you to go all the way to, cha- to verse 30. Again, these are two believing girls, very carnal, making a decision based upon worldly wisdom in their environment without seeking the Lord. Verse 30, it says, Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him. Apparently, when Lot got married, his wife was not a believer, uh, ultimately was not saved, and and, uh, it's an interesting story when we get to chapter 19. And it says, For he was afraid to stay in Zoar, and he stayed in a cave. 
he and his two daughters. Now, the Bible uh, writer wants you to know that it's his two daughters. He's going to tell you twice. When the firstborn said to the younger, our father's old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drunk. They made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know that she lay down or when she arose. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, when you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with them, lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Now, weird story, not so weird. One of the weirdest stories in the Bible, and I'm so glad it's there, because it's a picture. It's a picture of what happens when a believing dad is not concerned about the spiritual development of his children makes decisions based upon what he sees, what appears best financially, but totally neglects what this is going to mean in the life of his children spiritually in the next generation, a very graphic uh, picture. So Lot made decisions in his generation based upon what he sees, you know, great for cattle, but lousy for kids, and that he doesn't care that he has to leave Bethel. It's really no big deal because he's a carnal believer, so if he misses the place of worship, that's not really a big deal to him. He'll never build an altar. He'll never worship. He never seeks the Lord, yet the New Testament tells us that he is a believer. Apparently, he's weak in devotions. Again, no altar, no worship, no, no calling on the Lord. He's worldly in desires, cares more about the place that's going to be great for his business. He's going to make wrong decisions. He's going to raise two daughters who are very much like their dad, who will be believers. They will be saved, but they will make a disastrous decision based upon circumstances that have nothing to do with spiritual wisdom because it's just the way they were taught. And I wonder, I wonder if Lot, when he was at the place of Bethel, the house of God, and Abraham came and said, where do you want to go? You, know, you choose and I'll go the other way because we're brothers. I wonder if Abraham or if Lot could have looked spiritually down the road just a few years and said, you know, if if I make this decision and I choose to take my daughters there in that place, and certainly the daughters didn't get caught up in the same kind of immorality that was going on in Sodom, but they still became very immoral. I wonder if Lot could come back and see the result of the decisions that he made as he went further and further away from Bethel, the house of God, further and further pursuing the business in a place that was great for cattle, but lousy for kids. I wonder, when he woke up that morning, if he could have done it all over, if he would have made some very different decisions. What do you think? Absolutely. See, God's placed this story here in the Bible because it's a very graphic story. And he uses very graphic stories in order to bring you and I to the place where we say, Think about the decisions that you're making. Think about the decisions that you're making. And what does this look like in 20 years? Each morning as I get up and I see my kids and I pick up Avery Joy and I feed her and I just brought her out to you earlier and I look at her and I think, what 
are the decisions that I'm making today? What spiritual impact is this going to have in the life of this child in 10, 15, 20 years? And parents, with, without confessing, I'm sure there's many of us who could look back and say, you know, I raised kids and I was a carnal believer and, I've raised, I've raised, and now I'm not, but they are. And they don't buy it and they don't care and I wish I could break through. And it all comes from decisions made way back when, when we didn't think it mattered. Does that make sense? Good. So the question is, what will this look like in 20 years? Back to chapter 13. Well, there's good news in the chapter. Again, the, uh, verse 14, as uh, we pick it up. I, I want you to notice where God begins to speak to Abraham again. Uh, we saw in verse 1 that uh, that Abraham leaves Egypt, and so you might want to write that down. Uh, Abraham leaves Egypt. He leaves the things of the world, comes back, and then you also, you notice, and that was uh, verse 1, but then verses 3 through 5, when Abraham returned to the place that God had led him. So write that down, and then notice the verse. Verses 3 through 5, there in your outline, he went on his journeys from the Negev as far as, underlined Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar, which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And so he says, you know, this, this is where. I've come back to the place of worship. I've come back to, back to the place of, of where the altar is, and I'm back. Now what's interesting in verses 3 through 5, Abraham is back, but God still hasn't said anything to Abraham at this point. And so it's interesting because some time goes by. Abram's back in, in the land. He's back at the place of worship. And he's probably thinking, Lord, you know, I'm back and I haven't heard from you in so long. What's going on? But here's what he notices. In verse 7, strife begins to build between him and Lot. And it could be a couple of years. We, we don't really know how long it takes. But he's probably thinking, why haven't I heard from you, God? It's just been so long. I'm back at Bethel, the place of God. You know, I'm back at the altar. What's going on? Well, I love verse 14. And with your pen in hand, would you please double bold underline verse 14 it says the lord said to abram after after he separated from lot underline that the lord said to abram after he separated from lot then god says he goes on it's just interesting because he's back in bethel the house of god he's back at the altar but it's after separation from from the thing that god said separate that god begins to speak once again notice what god says Says God, God begins to speak in verse 14. He says, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. All the land which you see, I will give to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants will, be, will also be numbered. Verse 17, arise, walk about the land through its length, and its breadth, for I will give it to you. Now, very quickly, you just notice, uh, number three, that God begins to speak to Abraham when he finally separates from Lot. Verses 14 through 16, God gives him a promise. And in verse 17, God gives him specific direction. And so God's word to Abraham, very simply, you know, you have to do this. And I would say if there's somebody here today and God's calling you to separate, you need to separate whatever it is that God's called you. It doesn't get better. It gets worse. Make sense so far? Okay. So, 
How does Abraham respond? Verse 18. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Builds an altar again. Now, on your outline, very quickly as we close, I've put verse 18. You need to know a couple of things. We, we don't typically read Hebrew, so it, it, uh, there's some things here. It says, Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre. And so you might want to write down, finally, Abraham will dwell by the oaks. Oaks will be symbolic of just shade. There's going to be a coolness there. But then it says of the oaks of Mamre. Mamre is a very difficult word in the Hebrew. There are different translations that will we'll share it. But, but most Bible scholars point to that Mamre means abundance. You might want to write that down. So after he's separated from Lot, now he's doing what God says. He's living in the place of abundance. And he's in the place of Hebron. Hebron is simply the Hebrew word for fellowship. So here's Abraham. He's left, he's separated from what God called him to separate from, he's following God, and now there's abundance and there's fellowship with God. It never got better. That makes sense? And with that, as Jeff comes out to close us, God says if you will take these stories and you begin to meditate on them, it will make your way successful. One of the ways that you make your way successful today is to take this story and evaluate. Are you making decisions right now based upon what you see materially, yet as a carnal Christian, not really examining what this is going to look like in the spiritual development of the children that God has entrusted to you? Could it be that that right now God's calling you to separate from something and instead of separating in obedience as God has said, you're very much like the person who's trying to cut the tail off one inch at a time because you just can't bear to bring that much pain into somebody's life and yet it never gets better? And could it be that God wants to just say something through this that, that wants to take you to the next level in your spiritual walk and yet it's going to mean a separation and a following? Maybe it could be that right now you're here today and you'd say, you know, I I don't know about all that, but I haven't heard from God in a long time. Could it be that God has said something way back when and you've never taken care of that? And in never taking care of that, now you find yourself in the present wondering, God, why aren't you speaking to me? It's interesting for Abraham that God spoke to him in chapter 12 and said, here's what I want you to do. And Abraham began to follow. God was much more gracious, you might say, in the early days, but, but Abraham didn't take care of it. Some time goes by. We don't know how long. It could be a couple of years. And God doesn't speak again until Abraham takes care of the very thing that God had spoken. That makes sense? So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as uh, we close today, Lord, if there are those here today who are in those circumstances as we've traveled through this chapter and it's like, three or four sermons all in one. I know it's a lot of information. We've been all over the map. And yet, Lord, I pray that, that in this, that, that uh, it's been helpful, that you've spoken to us and given us an opportunity to evaluate. As your word says, that you've placed this there in order to, to instruct us. And David says, if we meditate on this, that there's something that you want to communicate. And so, Father, I pray for each and every one today who needs to do business with you in such a way that, that um, they just know that you've spoken, and we've known that you've spoken. And even though we close here today, we pray that that, um, we would not leave here until we've done business with you. 
And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.